Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. you to stand with me this morning. We're going to go right into the Word of God. We're reading uh, Genesis uh, chapter 32. Genesis 32, uh, reading from 22 through 28. I'm getting over uh, what I believe to be strep throat this week, Um, so pardon my my voice. But if you have it, give me a nice, nice amen. Let me know you got it. Amen. Genesis 32. 22 through 28. <clears throat> and I want, I want to ask, I mean, I, I shouldn't have to ask, but I want to ask for your undivided attention this morning because I believe that this is a word that God really wants somebody to hear. Amen. And so this is, uh, this is the story or part of the story of Jacob. And beginning at verse 22, I'm reading from the NLT this morning. It says, during the night... Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent all uh, his possessions. Uh, And then Jacob, all all alone in the camp, and um, sorry, uh, Jacob left all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the, uh, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him from now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word, my God. I thank you, my God, that, that you've already spoken it over, over my life. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak it to your people this morning, my God. Anybody who's in this room, Father God, I pray, Father God, that, that this word will just sink into their hearts. Father God, sink into our minds. Lord, I pray that we would be receptive to what your Holy Spirit wants to do in us, my God. We're here. I pray that we would be present, Father God. And I pray that you would meet every person wherever they are at in their life, my God, in their faith, my God, in their struggles, Father God. I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak, my God, to every single individual in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can, you can be seated. <clears throat> amen. I, I said something this week to my wife that... Um, I think ended up inspiring this sermon and it's going to sound a little depressing and I don't mean it to be. I I just think, I think it's true. And I think we can all agree with the truth behind this statement. I told her, I said, life is just a constant struggle. Amen. Sounds a little depressing, right? Um, There's, there's a song that, that I love, man. I love the song that says we go from glory to glory. Right, we go from glory to glory to glory. I think it would also be true if they wrote the same song that said, we go from struggle to struggle to struggle, right? Because it's true. Now, the glory comes, um, now, the glory when you come out of the struggle, but then you usually go into another struggle, right? They don't write songs about that, though. They don't write songs about the process. They just write them about the, the results, you, 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 can't, you can't get to glory until you get through struggle, right? And so if life has moments of glory, which I know to be true, it probably has seasons of struggle. And so we often find ourselves more in the seasons of struggle than we do the moments of glory. But those moments of glory are worth it, man. It's where we can look back and just like the song says, man... I got through that with prayer, with praise, with worship, and I saw the victory, and I saw the glory. Now, I think this is true for every every person, everybody struggles, but it's especially true for the Christian person, because for the Christian, you're not just living life for yourself, you're living it for God. And so, living for God means you have to wait on God. 
And God doesn't always deliver at the time that you want him to deliver. Amen. And then when he does deliver in his own, when he delivers in his own time, it's not always what you order. It's not like I, I didn't order this God. I wanted something else. And there just always seems to be some type of battle, whether it be physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, financial. There is always something to struggle with. See or no? I need y'all to help me preach. My brother over here is helping me preach. I need some more people to help me preach. Because uh, I, want, I want to keep it real. I want to keep it real today. Okay? There, there, will, there will never be a place in your life where everything is perfect. Because life isn't perfect. And I believe that you will have seasons of prosperity and you will have seasons of abundance. But as long as we're living on this earth... The Bible describes us as people who look forward to a future hope, one that is not here on this world, because what is here in this world is sin and pain and suffering and death. Perfection only comes when you get through this. And so as, as people, we, we, we like to always talk about the, the one day. How many have said that before? One day. Like it's this utopian day. Where everything just becomes perfect and I have arrived. That's a lie. That's a lie that the world believes. And because the world believes it, it chases after these things like it's a treasure. And, and this lie has made its way into the Christian church, but we just wrap it up in some godly language. And we say, God wants you to be blessed financially. We, we say, God wants you to be wealthy. And Regardless of what we achieve, and I, I'm not saying that God doesn't want those things for your life, but there will always be, even in the blessing, even in the abundance, there will always be struggle. And that's something that we have to learn to accept. Yes, one day might come when you're married. When you're married. You might not be single forever. One day might come. And, and you meet the right one. And she's fine. One day might come. And he's a godly man. And he's got, he's got a great job. <laughs> that one day might come. But when that one day comes, you're also going to have marriage struggles. <laughs> come on. One day might come where, you know, God is, he's like, God, you're praying to God, Lord, take me out of this job. I want to start my own business. I believe that I can, I can make it out of the rat race, right? That one day might come, but then you're going to be met with the struggles of being a business owner. Come on. One day might come where God uses you in ways that you've always been asking the Lord to use me in this way. But if you were to ask Elijah, he might tell you, bro, I don't even know if you know what you're asking. In everything we do, there is a struggle. And the reason I want to bring this to you today is because I have seen the struggle kill faith, kill anointing, kill callings, kill peace, kill families, kill churches. And, and the people of God need to learn how to endure the struggle in any season and fight like their lives depend on it. And, and again, I said this already, we get a decent amount of, of, of visitors and first timers every week. And I, I want to tell you, if you're here, like, I don't know what you're going through spiritually. I don't, I don't know what you're battling. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what's going on in your family and your life. But, but some people come to church. Some people come to church expecting their problems to lessen. Well, when I get my family in church, my problems will go away. Mm. I cannot guarantee that your, that your problems are going to go away. The only thing that I can guarantee is that, is that salvation is for those who humble themselves before the feet of Jesus, right? That's all I can really guarantee. I can't guarantee the struggle free life for you, but I can guarantee a God that will walk with you through every single struggle. The truth is, struggle is always real. And I entitled my sermon this morning, The Struggle. Tell the person next to you, The Struggle. Like they know what the struggle is. Sometimes we don't even know what the struggle is. We just know we're in it. Sometimes life just doesn't feel right. I love the story of Jacob, man. And I, I love the way that his story was told in the scriptures because 
everybody can relate to Jacob. The, the Bible presents Jacob as a man who always struggled. Always. Um, in, chapter, in chapter 25, the Bible says, this, this is before Jacob was even born. The Bible says in, uh, in, in 25, 20, 22, that Jacob and Esau struggled in the womb. Like, dang, in the womb you were struggling? At birth, Jacob came out holding the heel of his brother Esau, representing the struggle that was going to continue in their lives as they matured. Later on, he continued to struggle with his brother when Jacob deceived Esau into selling him his birthright. Then he deceived his father into blessing him. And then he flees for fear of his life because his brother hates him now and wants to kill him. And so for the next 20 years, Jacob is struggling with his uncle Laban. He works for seven years with Laban to win the hand of his daughter. But Laban gives him the wrong daughter. And he's like, All right, I'm going to work another seven years for the one that I want. And so like this dude's entire life is just a struggle. And, and up until this point, Jacob really only knows how to fight dirty. Y'all know someone who knows how to fight dirty? All the men are like, man, my wife fights dirty. <laughs> my wife fights dirty, man. You, you, ever, you ever see a kid like, like who, who's considered, they, they call them at-risk kids. And maybe he shoplifts and maybe he, he lies all the time. Maybe he's always getting into fights. I was talking to uh, Stephen. Stephen is our, our point of contact at, at Navarro Middle School. And he was telling me about some of these kids and, and, and they create problems for, for teachers and for, and for other students. And they're not easy to work with, but, but when you sit down with them and you really understand what's going on in their life, man, you can't help but sympathize with them. Their parents are never home. Their, their only real meal of the day is what they get at school lunch. Some of these kids are just trying to survive. And so they fight the only way they know how to fight. Like everybody learns how to deal with their struggles, right? Every, every single person in this room, you have some type of coping mechanism. It might not be healthy, but it's something. And so maybe when you struggle, all you know how to do is cry. You don't know what else to do, so you just cry. You just get in your emotions. Other people get angry, and they lash out, and they yell. Maybe, maybe you retreat, right? I think I'm talking to some of the men this, this morning. When struggle comes your way, you don't want anybody to know about it. So, so you, you, you tuck it away. You hide. You don't let anybody uh, know what you're going through. Other people might deal with it uh, with a, by, by like a quick fix. Maybe you run to food to numb the pain. Maybe you run to shopping to numb the pain or alcohol or, or porn. Like everybody struggles and everybody has to find a way to deal with that struggle. Every single person. It might not be healthy, but you have a way to, that you deal with. And Jacob's thing was deception and manipulation. That was Jacob's thing. That was the way that Jacob handled a life of struggle by deception and manipulation. So much so that if you look up the definition of his name in, in, in Hebrew dictionaries, it will say deceiver and supplanter. That's what Jacob means. That's what he did. All throughout his story, that's how he deals with his struggle, by deceiving people and by manipulating situations. The Bible describes um, Jacob as a, as a quiet man. <clears throat> Out of all the ways that Moses could have described Jacob, he describes him as a quiet man. I, I can relate to Jacob, right? Because I, I am too not a man of, of many words. It's not that I don't have a lot to say. It's that I only like to talk about things that interest me. And so it's really hard for me to have a, a conversation about small stuff. You guys know this. Y'all know I'm socially awkward, right? Whenever I'm in a social environment, and I like to be in social environments. I'm not like the introvert that never wants to come out. Like I, I like hanging out with people. It's just I don't really know how to do it well. And so when, when I'm in a social environment, it, it really hard, it, it takes me a minute to warm up because what happens during the warm up? Small talk. That's what happens. And I hate small talk. Hey, hey, how's, how's your week? You know, how's, how's work? What'd you do today? I hate that. Like, like, like 
Real question, do, do people really care about the answers to those questions? Raise your hand if you are really interested. You are? I'm sorry, I don't care enough. Like, I don't care how your week is, man. <laughs> I, 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 have this running, I have this running joke with Melissa that anytime we go like on a double date, in order for me to thrive in a social environment, I have to go directly to the deep stuff. Like, like if I'm going to sit down with you, I have to ask, what's your deepest and darkest fear? Give it to me. Let's go there. You know, <laughs> like I, I just it's really it, I, I like the heavy conversations where I, I can I can talk for hours on those. But I'm really socially awkward when it comes to the little stuff. And and so I I think Jacob was a lot like me. You know, he was described as a as a quiet man. I don't know why he couldn't have been described like as a holy man or a deep thinking man or like a poetic man. No, quiet man, quiet man. And I want real quick. I just want to represent all quiet people this morning. Quiet people don't like it when you ask them why they're quiet. You don't like it. When I get that question, man, you know what I want to say? Why do you talk so much? Right. I don't say it because I'm quiet. But here's what I'm getting at. They say that the quiet ones are the ones you got to worry about. Except for me, right? <laughs> the quiet ones, because you never know what's, what they're thinking. Because they don't, they don't talk out loud. All the conversations they have are in their mind. And so you, you never know what their next move is going to be. And, you know, like, like Jacob was like that. He was a quiet man. And it so happened to be that he was a manipulative man. He was a deceiver. And so that's the way that he deals with this struggle. He feels it and he devises plans. From the moment Jacob came out of the womb, it was like there was a spirit over him that made him so protective of himself. He had to look out for himself, right? And the ironic thing is that, that his name actually comes from another name that means may God protect. The Lord had already called Jacob. He already established Jacob. There was already a plan over Jacob's life. Jacob was going to be the one that God used um, uh, for the people of Israel to, 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 to form. It was, it was Jacob. God chose Jacob. But for some reason, in times of last time they left, Esau wanted to kill him. So uh, Genesis 32, real quick, let's just read it. I, I think I have it up here. Genesis 32, verse 3, uh, just, so, just for context. It says, then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. And he told them, give this message uh, to my servant Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now, I have been living with Uncle Laban. And now I own cattle and donkeys and flock and sheep and goats and many servants, both men and women. And I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. After delivering the message, uh, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. And so he divided his household along with the flocks and the herds and the camels into two groups. And he thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other one can escape. You, you see what's going on here? He's already he's already planning some tricks. First of all, he's like, all right, let me, let me send my messengers with some gifts to make kind of a peace offering, to make, sure, to, to make sure he's not too angry with me. Let me give him something. And then, and then he's like, and, and, and make sure my brother knows that I'm wealthy. Like, anything he wants, he can have. Just don't kill me. And then his messengers come back and say, hey, he's actually on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. And so now he's all panicky. And he's like, okay, well, let me, let me divide my family into two. And you're going to go that way. And we're going to go this way. And, and maybe uh, Esau will meet you and, and we, can, we can escape. He's, he's same old Jacob. In the times of struggle, he's running to the same thing. Deceit and manipulation. Why? Because he needs to protect himself. He has to find a way to cope with his struggles. Now, I want you to, I want you to listen. I want you to get this. Look, Jacob... He was a man of God, right? I don't want you to think that I'm depicting him as, as, as an ungodly man. No, this is a man who fears the Lord. He trusts God. He's, he, he, got, he has a promise over his life. 
And if you, can, if you keep on reading here in verse 9, he says, he says a prayer to God where he reminds God of the promise that he made to, uh, to, to Abraham, his, his grandfather, and, and the promise that he made to him that, that God will multiply his descendants. And, and so he's like, God, remember me, right? And so I, I, think, I think in Jacob's mind, honestly, I think that he thought he was doing the right thing. I think he, he, was, he was doing the best he could with his own strengths. And well, let me say a little prayer to God. Let me, let, let me remind God of the promises that he made to me. And I think if I were to ask most people in the room, how do you deal with struggle? Many of you are going to say, on my knees, pastor. Right? Come on, where are my holy rollers at, man? Come on. The, the way I deal with struggle is in prayer. Because we, we obviously know that that's the way that we should deal with struggle. We know that we need to bring every, every fear, every need to God. We sing that song. This is how I find my battles. We declare that. Come on, brother. I believe that we do that. But I also believe that we bring other things to the fight. Like if prayer doesn't work. I've, I've got my other weapons, too. Like, if God doesn't fix it, I have to wait. I have to find a way to fix it. All right? And, and some people say, y'all try God for a little bit, but if it doesn't work, I'm going to go back to my old ways, my old life, my old friends. I'm going to try church today. How many times have you said that? I'm going to try church today, but if I'm not completely transformed, if God doesn't speak directly to my life, I'm done. Jake, Jacob... Jacob is a man of God, 100%, but he has failed to recognize because, you know, he's always been on the defenses of his entire life. He has failed to recognize that God called him, God loves him, and God is for him. He, he forgot, somewhere he forgot that. And so sometimes as Christians, you know, our, our actions question God's faithfulness. Because even though we say we believe that he is faithful, even though we say that we believe that he is good, in times of struggle, we are made to believe the exact opposite. You know, I've, I've been holding on to promises for a long time. And this morning in the Spanish service, Pastor Danny asked this question. I kind of laughed a little bit because um, I, I, I have been holding on to promises that I believe that God has made uh, to me for a long time. And so a lot of times I go to God and I'm like, hey, God. Remember that thing that you said? Remember, remember, remember the word you gave me? Remember you confirmed it multiple times? Remember at first I didn't want to believe it, and then you confirmed it, like you drilled it into me? Remember that? Where is it at? Where is it at? Like, don't you remember? Have, have you forgot? I've gone to God so many times to remind him of his own words. God, you said you were going to take me here. I'm still here. You said you were going to take me out of this. I'm still in this. And, and when those promises seem like such a long way off, I, I think I, speaking personally, I inadvertently wonder if those promises are ever going to come. Because the blessing is out there, but I'm in here in the pits. Struggle busting. And, and, and this is the revelation that God shows us in this passage. You still with me? Okay. This is the revelation of this, of, of this passage where Jacob wrestles with the Lord. Jacob has learned how to deal with his struggles his entire life the wrong way. All his life, he struggled with man. His brother, his father, his uncle. But he's never, he's never wrestled with God. And I, I want you to realize that Jacob's name... Is, is changed from Jacob to Israel only after Jacob wrestled with man and with God. All his life, he wrestled with man. All his life. All his life, he tried to do things his own way by his own strength. But now, only after he has wrestled with the angel of the Lord, his name is changed. Now, now the question is, why would we wrestle with God? Why would we wrestle with God? That, that sounds scary. 
You know, and, and Christians, we're, we're very good at crediting God for all the good things that happen in our lives, but we never stop to credit Him for the struggle. Right? What, what, we, we, rationalize, we rationalize things so weird. When blessings come, thank you, God. When blessings don't come, it wasn't the will of God. Like, we, we think that God is only in the blessings. But if in order to get to glory, you have to go through the struggle, maybe it is God himself who is putting us in the struggle more often than we realize. I mean, I, I don't know. That's, I think that's what the Bible shows us. I think the Bible shows us men who were called by God, struggled, and then saw the glory of God. Noah was called by God, struggled, and then saw the protection of God. Abraham was called by God, struggled, and then saw the blessing of God. Later on, Joseph was called by God, struggled, and then saw the promise of God. Moses was called by God, struggled, and then saw the hand of God. David was called by God, struggled, and then saw the mercy of God. The nation of Israel was called by God, struggled, still struggles to this day, but one day we will see the glory of God descend over Mount Zion where his people will be reunited with him. God isn't just in the blessings, church. God isn't just in the blessings. He's also in the struggle. For the children of God. Look, look, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Like if, if you are paying the consequences for stupid actions, that's on you. But, but sometimes when you are in the will of God and you are doing everything right and you are walking left when he's telling you to go left and then you're walking right when he's telling you to go right and then you're turning back around when he says turn back around. If you're doing everything to the T that God is telling you to do it and you're still in the struggle, it's because he has devised the struggle for your life. There's that, there's that song that says, I'm, I'm referencing a lot of songs today. Um, there is another in the fire. Right? That, that perfectly explains what, we, what, what I'm talking about. Because when we find ourselves in the fire, what do we do? Lord, save me. Get me out of this. It's hot. It's consuming me. And then, and then when God doesn't answer our prayers, we think, okay, well, maybe I have to deal with this struggle in my own way, by my own strengths. And so we look for ways to put out the fire. We try to pour some water into the fire. We, we ask for help. Hey, brother, can you get me out of the fire? We look for escape routes to get out of the fire. But what if, what if God is literally there in the fire with you because he's the one who put you there? How, how would your prayers change if God told you, I am going to put you in the fire? How would your prayer change? There's a difference between God saying, a fire is coming. Watch out. Be careful. You can do this. And God saying, I am going to put the fire on you. There's a difference. And once the fire is on you, I'm going to turn up the heat. You have to realize that God isn't just the author of your victory. He is also the writer of your story. And your story involves pages and pages and pages and chapters and chapters of struggle. And so when you find yourself in the struggle, yes, you have to know how to wrestle with man. Yes, you have to know how to defend yourself. Yes, you, know, you have to know how to rebuke and cast out spiritual forces that come against you. But you also have to know how to take that fight to God. Not because God is your enemy. But because God wants to build a faith in you that demands a blessing that you know he is holding on to. Y'all ain't getting this this morning. Jesus rebuked the man who said, Lord, if you can heal my daughter. Jesus, what do you mean if I can? Jesus wanted the man to have the boldness To ask for what he knew Jesus had the power to deliver. Jesus saw the woman who touched the hem of his garment. He was moved by her faith. Not because she asked, but because she took the blessing that was there. 
Jesus commended the group of friends who brought down their paralytic friend. They made a hole in the roof. They, they, they caused destruction and they brought him to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, because of your faith, you are made well. God wants us to have the courage to wrestle with him. And I think many of us have the boldness to pray to God, but we don't have the boldness to wrestle with God. We don't have a we don't have a super long narrative of the wrestling match here. Um, I don't I don't want to assume details that aren't here, but but what we do know is that Jacob is distressed. He's panicking. He's nervous. He even tells God, Lord, I'm fearful. We know that he's he's brought his concern to God in, 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 in kind of a cordial little prayer. Right. Um, but we also know that he's trying to find other ways to calm the situation in the only ways that he knows how through deception. We know that he sends his family away in the middle of the night. And so he's left all alone. And a man who is later revealed to be God shows up to wrestle with Jacob. And the rest, uh, they wrestle all night over a blessing that Jacob demands to have until the man finally gives in. So to summarize, Jacob got his blessing only after wrestling with God alone. If you haven't paid attention, I want you to pay attention now. Because I believe that this is how breakthrough happens. I believe this is how deliverance happens. I believe this is how freedom happens. I believe this is how advancement happens. I believe that this is how you find glory. Is when you learn how to wrestle with God alone. Who is at the point in their life today? Maybe I'm not talking to anybody today. But who is at their point in their struggle? Well, you're, you're ready to just, Lord, let's do it. Let's have it out. Who is at that point? See, wrestling with God doesn't mean that you stop submitting to God. It just means that your prayers are heating up. It means that that little lion cub inside of you, it's got a little baby roar. It, it, it's, starting to, it's starting to mature because there's, there's something in there. And now you're directing it towards God because you know he's the one who holds on to the blessing. You're not pointing the finger at the devil. You're not fighting the devil. You're going directly to God because you know he is the author of your victory. I'm taking this to the top. I'm appealing to the highest authority because I know God holds my victory. You have to you have to say some you have to say some words to God. You have to speak your mind to God. You have to be direct. How many of us go to God so passively? And we do it out of reverence. We do it out of respect. We do it out of fear. But God needs to see the real you. You, Do you hear me? What I'm saying this morning? God needs to see the real you. And you're saying this morning, pastor, the real me is real ugly. God needs to see it. God needs to see it. It's enough that we have fake friends. You don't need a fake relationship with God. Fake relationships don't last. They don't last. And so if you're constantly bringing God a fake version of yourself, pretending to be holy in his presence when he knows that you're actually filthy, you're not bringing anything real to God. And so you're not bringing anything that God can change because you haven't submitted it. If you won't ever, if you won't even show God your frustration, if you won't even show God your anger, you'll never be bringing anything real to God. There, there's times where I go to God. I mean, I, and I do this quite often. I, I go to God and, and I just, I want to ask for something. I want to ask for my blessing. Like, like, like Jacob, I want to demand it in the presence of God. But then I stop. I stop and I say, you know what? No, I just need to be grateful. And so I do that, and, and my prayers become those of gratitude. And it's beautiful, you know, it's humbling, because I do need to be grateful for things. Because, you know, my God, in, in reality, I, I, I am blessed. I am blessed. And so I, I, I do that, and I humble myself, and I stop my frustration. I'm like, Lord, just thank you. But then I always feel like God is saying, okay, go back to your first point. I see your gratitude. But go back to why you're here. Give me, give me what's on your heart. 
Don't give me what, don't give me what you think I want to hear. Give me what's on your mind. Give me the real you. <laughs> so, man, I, I go to God angry sometimes, man. And I let him know it. I go to God frustrated. And I let him know it. I go to God scared. And I let him know it. Before I let anybody else know. Before I let my wife in, I go to God and I let him know what's on my mind. I don't always go into the presence of God all giddy and ready to worship and with a smile on my face and all fired up. No, I, sometimes I go into the presence of God wanting to have a word with him. Sometimes I go into the presence of God wanting to complain to him, wanting to be frustrated. And, 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 and when I realize that he is the one who has me in the fire, all this time I just thought it was bad luck, God. All this time, I thought it was a mistake that I made and I'm suffering the consequences for. All this time, I thought it was external forces. But when I realize that it is the will of God that involves my discomfort, I've got to let God know that I am tired and angry and frustrated. Are you too afraid to do that? Because you know what I've learned? I have learned that in my humanness, in my natural state, in the flesh, in the flesh... That is when I need to run to the presence of God. I don't, need to, I don't need to put on the holy makeup to go into the presence of God. I need to give God the real me so he can fix the real me. Sometimes we say, oh, fear. Fear doesn't belong in the presence of God. Why not? Because if, if it's never brought into the presence of God, it will never be surrendered to God. If I don't bring my anger or my sorrow or my frustration to the presence of God, that means I'll never submit those things to him. And I'll just continue to carry them in my flesh and never advance from glory to glory. And I believe that there's people in the room that are frustrated with God, but you've never, you've never let him know it. So instead, you find outlets and you find different things and, and different people and different situations to wrestle with. And, and, and you're angry. You're angry, but you, 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 you let that anger go to your family members, to your friends, to your spouse, to the ministry, to the work that you do. Can I tell you that your relationship with God will get so much better when you give him your real self? <clears throat> I don't know if you're getting this this morning. I remember going to God once in tears. I said, God, I'm so frustrated with you. I said, I love you, Lord. You are God. I am not. You are holy. I am not. You are righteous. I am not. But I'm angry. I'm angry because it's not what we talked about. This is not what you promised. Fix this, my God. I remember telling the Lord, fix this. There's this well-known statistic that says couples that argue together stay together. My wife and I have been fighting for 11 years. And we're together. It's, it's, it's when you stop fighting that you stop trying you stop caring. And I believe that the same goes with God. Like God wants the real you. Some people are so passive with God, man. Like you're not comfortable with God enough to just be you. There's, there's people who haven't prayed certain prayers because you just don't want to go there. Because if you go there, some of the ugly is going to come out. And, and, and you don't want to be ugly in the presence of God. So instead, you keep the ugly inside you. And I think that this is how deliverance happens. When you play show and tell with God and you say, Lord, this is the thing that I didn't want to show you. This is the thing that I, I haven't wanted to speak out. This isn't this is the thing that I haven't wanted to repent over. This is the thing that I haven't wanted to bring to you. But when you do it, that's when breakthrough happens. And this is the moment that Jacob finds himself in. He's all alone. He's all alone. Somebody say alone. I, love, I like to be alone just in general. But you need, to, you need to learn how to be alone with God. You have to get alone with God. It's good to pray with people. It's good to pray with your spouse. It's good to pray with your family. But you need to pray by yourself. 
The Bible says that Jacob sent his family away. Because you're not going to say everything you need to say to God when there's other people in the room. See or no? When I, I'm feeling bilingual today. When I'm, at a, when I'm at a prayer session with other people, man, I'm a, I'm a prayer warrior. I, man, I, I, can, I, can, I can cast out some demons from people. I can call out some ugly. I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I, I pray with, like, like, like there's a lion inside of my lungs, man, when I'm praying over people. And sometimes I, I probably spit in your face when I'm praying over you. I'm sorry if I do that. I really am. I try not to. But I, I, I know how to pray. I know how to fight for people in public. But most people can only fight for themselves in private when it comes to prayer. We're, every, every, every Sunday, we're, we, the, the prayer team meets back here and we pray. And we pray for all kinds of things. And I was just realizing this. Like right now, I was, we're praying for all the people that were going to walk into the church. And, and I'm, I'm, my, my voice is lifted up and I'm praying. And I'm praying with power and authority. And Lord, Lord, shake, uh, shake the heavens this morning. Shake the foundations. Lord, bring freedom into this place. My God, let, let, let people find joy in your presence. And I, I'm, I'm lifting up my voice. And Pastor Brandon starts to pray over, over, over me. And I just shut up. Like, what, what am I going to? What am I going to pray publicly for myself? That means I have to call some things out of myself that you're going to see. That's why you have to go in private sometimes. This is why I think, I think fighting in front of your kids can be healthy sometimes, but, but sometimes you need to close that door. You need to close that door because you need to say some stuff to each other that they have no business hearing. And so you need to you need to find some solitude with the Lord to bring out everything that needs to come out. When you when you when you have the boldness to wrestle with God, that's when things begin to change. And I'm, I'm almost done. I'll have the worship team come, come up. But, but the man, I just, I want to finish with the story. The man told Jacob, he said, let me go. Let me go. We've been doing this all night. And what did Jacob say? Not until you bless me. Not until you bless me. And verse 27 says, the man asked Jacob, what, what is your name? This, this is a really important question. Because in these times, a name wasn't just a name. A name was often given because of an identity that was attached to it. <laughs> What's your name? This man was asking, what's the deal with you? Tell me who you are. It wasn't a social curiosity type of question. This question was asked to Jacob so that Jacob could in private finally begin to own up to his true self in the presence of God. What if, what if God were to Come down in human form today. Like, like this, this is often called a theophany, where God, God uh, descends in, in, in a person, right? What if God were to come to you in private and ask you, What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? And you know exactly what he's asking. What's your fear? What's your problem? What's going on in that mind? What keeps you awake at night? Why haven't, why haven't you advanced? Why are you struggling? That's what he does with Jacob. What's your name? And he has to, he has to own up. My name is Jacob. 
I am a lifelong struggler. I am a deceiver. I am a supplanter. I'm a manipulator. I have been through things. I have committed sins. I've deceived my family. I have, I have betrayed my brother's trust. I have betrayed my father's trust. I've probably destroyed my family through cunning and manipulation. I have sought refuge in ways of man. I have looked for blessings in the hand of man. That is who I am. It's in the solitude where you give God the true self. know that Jacob would have been able to say all that needed to be said in front of his family but in the presence of God when you don't hide from God when you don't try to look perfect when you search the depths of your heart that's when you give God the real you and for the first time in his life Jacob took his struggles to God himself
wondered why Jesus had holes in his hands after the resurrection. Why? He's got a resurrected body, a glorified body. What's the why, why do you have holes in your hands? Those 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 scars should be gone. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.